0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Six
1: seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes.
0: Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Putin, in episode 40. I'm joined by the Director of North American Sports for Stats Bomb. Uh, he also is a contributor at The Athletic and a frequent and notorious Knicks Twitter troll. You know him as Seth Partnow. That is at Seth Partnow on Twitter. Seth, how are you doing on this Monday?
1: I prefer hater to troll but <laughs> if, do you?
0: Yeah. I guess you you do the trolling but you're a, a hater.
1: <laughs> I hate I hate all of your teams equally. I I'm equal opportunity. Um, Except, except for Lakers, so kind of <laughs> reserve special for. But yeah. Well,
0: that, that's like a, everybody in the NBA gets on that one, so you know we're all on the same page when it comes to them. Uh, Before we get started, I do have to make a few about since the first week that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strickland on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise which you can find on our website. We got t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, water bottles, coffee mugs, you name it. We've got it. Check it out. And then finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, the podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Mico that comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, this pod right here that I host by myself where I rant and rave about the next few more. You also get access to Wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There is a fifteen dollar tier, thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, and hundred dollar tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on our pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And then finally. The show would not be possible without Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your championship finals, info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest match reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball and hockey to MLB, UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get into the action today, head to the website, or use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, now that we got all of the the corporate bullshit out of the way, uh, look, we're going to talk about a lot of shit, but I want to start with the Knicks, um, because I think the last time that we actually had you on a podcast, or I think I came on your show last summer at one point, but there was like, look, I was like very much like, I, if we have Julius on this roster next year, I'm gonna fucking end it all. Like it was a miserable time. Uh, there was some consternation over the Jalen Brunson stuff and whatever. Um, I guess are, are you gonna hand me the L on that one? By the way, were you you you, you did not? You thought that was a whole lot, a whole lot of Jalen Brunson, right? Is that
1: what uh, you- I thought it was. I thought it was a whole lot to give up to get him, and I wasn't sure that he was going to elevate the team enough to uh justify that uh he um is a better
0: basketball player than i thought he was so i will i will gladly hold that l yeah i mean look i i thought i was i when the when the so when they made that trade on draft night the reporting on it was so confusing so it was like it took you know like four hours for the full details to come out and by the end of it i was like okay well they got three protected first they got off the guys they need to get off of okay i'm fine with it and i knew they were gonna everybody knew they were gonna go after jalen brunson they get Jalen Brunson. I was fine with the contract they gave him at the time. Personally, if it was up to me, I would have just handed Emmanuel quickly the keys, drafted Jalen Williams, and called it a day. I think that would have been an okay situation, too. But I have no problem with what they chose to do. And obviously, what they chose to do landed them Jalen Brunson, who, to your point, outperformed the contract. But I guess, like, looking back, you know, at the season the Knicks had, would you say that you're, one, surprised by how things have, like, where they currently are positioned, I guess, maybe that's the best way to put it? And then, two, just like, do you there's kind of like this angst with like the fan base of okay this was a good season and things are good but like how do we make the next step how do we become the like a contending team and do you like i don't know i guess i guess the best. what i'm asking you is do you feel like maybe there doesn't need to be as much of a we have to do this right now versus like let's let's see what becomes available and take our time and make the right move to like make that push into contention. That's a lot of different things at once.
1: Um, I feel like the first the first question that sort of has to be addressed is sort of taking stock of where the team is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you started with Julius Randall, and I think sort of two things happened. One, his regular season probably largely salvaged his reputation mm-hmm. with Nick's with the Knicks faithful, and his postseason showed why there's still some, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it was a little bit the same movie as we saw two years ago against Atlanta. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I I guess. uh, So I agree with you, but there's been some pushback on this of like, look, he hurt his ankle. Like he hurts it. Then he re injures it in the playoffs. How much stock do you put in that? And, and like, how much stock do do teams put in that kind of stuff? Because it is like, I don't want to say it's, I hate saying like, it's a cop out because an injury is an injury. But it does feel a little kind of like, look, I, I get that he's hurt, but he's on the floor. So it is what it is. I think that there's some
1: of that. And it's also with, with him in the playoffs, it's a little bit, it's as much qualitative as it is quantitative.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I think we've seen, I mean, for, for me, Kyle Lowry has always sort of been the, the poster child for this. Uh, he got a reputation as a bad playoff player early in his, in his Toronto career. And really, if you paid attention to those games, he. I'm I'm entering some dangerous territory given my my th- thoughts on the whole shot quality debate, but he played pretty well all around and didn't shoot the ball well. Mm. I I think that that qualitatively you would say that I at least I would say maybe you agree with this or maybe you don't is that in addition to not shooting well, Randall also did not play well. Yeah, and, yeah. and he also did not play well against Atlanta in the, in the, in the playoffs two years ago. And the way he did not play well is sort of, I don't want to say it's predictable, but it's kind of predictable and, and is sort of emblematic of it's, it's cliche at this point to talk about the 82 and the 16, but all right, what happens if everyone knows he's a lefty and everyone
0: knows he wants to get to the step back and everyone, you know, and, 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 and these things. And, and, you know, he did like, I mean, his biggest flaw to me and this, is just an issue for him, even in the regular season. And you see this in like crunch time, uh, of regular season games. He's not a great processor. And he also has a tendency a habit. I should call it not a tendency, a habit of holding the ball. Like he does not make quick decisions with the ball. And I think in the playoffs, like, so if you, I I agree with you, he did not have a good playoffs. And, um, I like the stuff that, you know, there was obviously a lot of like him not getting back on defense, him, You know, throwing his hands up in exasperation after he turns the ball over and whatever. There's a lot of that. But the things that really stand out to me are like, he had two good playoff games. He had the game five against Cleveland. He gets hurt in that game. Rangers ankle, but he looked really, really good. He was decisive going strong to the basket. And then he also played well, at least I would say he played relatively well offensively uh, in game two against Miami like and if you look at the that game what he does in that game is he's just making quick decisions off swing passes on the perimeter and like it's so frustrating because he is so talented but like he can be his own worst enemy and i think that's like honestly that's the hardest it it makes it so hard to evaluate him and not just evaluate him but like i'm guilty of this of like really like just looking at it objectively and not letting your emotions get the best of you because the things he fucks up are just you're just like you're fucking six eight two fifty and you're like you you've got an incredible athletic talent like you know he, he is a he's a beast, but like he's his own worst enemy, and so it makes it very very frustrating and I think he also he's so kind of expressive when he plays right he's like hands up and he's like you know us on the sideline screaming at you know whoever the hell and you're just like, what is going on here <laughs> like can you or, like are you good is everything okay um but I think like, you know, and you actually were saying this last summer as you were just like, like, just, just keep him like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. You're not like in a position where you need to move off of them. And I felt differently, but the front office obviously went with kind of, they sided more along your lines and they were right. And you were right. And like, at the end of the day, like the guy for all his flaws in the playoffs, considering his contract, you can't say like the Knicks are getting a bad end of the deal here. I mean, he's worth the contract. He's playing well. And I think for what they're trying to establish of like, look, we're we're still like, yes, it's been a pretty solid three years given the Knicks 20 year track record. But like, you're still in this, like, let's, we need to keep kind of punching at this weight before I think the broader kind of perspective of the Knicks changes. I, I do think it is changing, but like, there's still a lot of like, ha 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 Knicks stuff out there. Right. So it's, You've got to keep punching at a certain weight, and I think for at least these three seasons, and especially this past season, you can't deny that Julius did serve a purpose. Now, does he continue to serve this team's purpose moving forward? I think that's a little bit more of an interesting conversation, and given you know the season he had, maybe he is a little bit more tradable. Maybe there is more of a market for him, and I think that's something they, they should explore.
1: Yeah, I think I mean you're sort of hitting hitting the point with him where um it's always sort of a hard inflection point for teams when a guy who is a sort of a mainstay of a team for the team to be better they have to do less. Hmm. And it's it's not just usage, it's as you say less time on the ball, make quicker decisions um to be a guy who can kind of catch and hold in the playoffs. You got to be a lot better at at doing catch and hold stuff than he is, and that's not you know twenty guys in the world who are good enough to to do that, and he's not one of them. And that's I don't think that's a, I as a hater I don't think that's hating. Um, and I think it, it, it not to this extreme, but I think the best example of this in a non across the league in a non Knicks contest context has been Memphis with Dylan Brooks. Like he was imp- very important for Memphis getting to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And they are even before kind of the playoff silliness this year. They were, they were which is it's a whole other thing. Um, uh, they were they were clear at the point where, for them to advance, he like he could be a valuable contributor on that team. It seems very unlikely that both the team and the player are going to understand how to scale that back to put put the player in a more appropriate role whether it's it's playing time whether it's usage whether it's touches whether it's shots um, and that's a little bit where the, I think the Knicks are again not nearly to the extreme but that's a little bit where the Knicks are with with Randall I think and the difference is, is they're you know Memphis you know 10,000 foot view jaw suspension aside they're at a little bit of a different point in terms of where, where they should be, uh, it it just, you know, I think Jaws is a better player, a more dynamic, a more possible best playoff player in a, in a second round plus playoff series than than Brunson is. And again, I don't think that's a shot at Brunson. I think that, that, you know, jaws, um, you know, when he is playing and, and not doing off the court stuff, (laughs) is in the discussion to be at the, the back end of the top 10 players in the league. And so they're at a point where this is a, this is all it's a, it is, it is a crisis for them. And they've sort of, you know, they're reporting that they've kind of said, thanks, but no thanks to Dylan Brooks recognize illustrates. I think they recognize they've hit that crisis point. The Knicks aren't there. So it's a little bit of a harder decision, but it's not as immediate. Yeah. A decision that has to be made. Um, so it's a long-winded way of saying, yeah. See what, yeah. Go ahead, see what's out there. Uh, but you do have to be ready to pivot the team, and whether that's that's, I think, whether it's moving Randall, whether it's moving R.J. Barrett. I think that the on a contention level team, though, the coexistence of those two alongside everything else is is, is problematic, and it may be, honestly be that like neither of the two are are part of the the next contention level. Uh, next team um but that's not a given that's just sort of evaluating kind of the next moves and opportunities as they come and seeing how you know whether it's uh, whether it's manual quickly whether it's quentin grimes whether it's whoever else developing to fill into different roles or what other pieces they can add um but you i think you do have to be aware that those aren't the second and third best players on a contention level team
0: yeah i mean I, i I'm prob- I'm definitely higher on Brunson, I think, than you are, but I know that you're kind of, like, of the opinion of, if he does this another year, you'll probably be like, okay, maybe I have him still, like, below where he should be or something. Um, but, like, I, look, what I saw from Brunson, and this actually ties to my, because I want to talk about Tibbs, because I, I think it's fair to say you're not, like, Tibbs' biggest fan, but would you also say that, like, kind of in the similar similar vein to Randall, where... I don't think Tibbs is the guy to lead this team, you know, if and when they have the talent to, to be a contender. But do you think, like, one, are you fine with kind of some of the limitations that come with him that you see in the playoffs, given that he seems to be able to extract a solid enough regular season level from this team? Like, is that, like, I guess, is it is it still fine for them to be, like, to value what, that regular season performance with him, um, or do you? If you were kind of like, if you were running the team and you could just do whatever you wanted, would you feel this is a time to maybe pivot to a different coach?
1: I mean, that's not going to happen. Right. Uh, I think last year probably would have been, from just from a political standpoint, would have been the, mm-hmm. the Absolutely. time to do it. Um, in general, I am more of a fan of coaches that are willing to be more experimental and that's in terms of both style and personnel usage i think that i know you're extremely high on emmanuel quickly i am too we still don't really totally know what he is or could be in part because he hasn't been given the opportunity to fail enough
0: yeah uh i
1: mean certainly like to the extent that and I, and the the Obi Toppin draft pick is largely going to have been wasted mm-hmm. it's it's they haven't they the Knicks have not experimented enough with what i i don't think Toppin as a small ball 5 works as a frontline unit mm-hmm. i don't think it does we have no sample of it you know we we cuz it's the, the Knicks always got to play with the big guy and they and and so just that that inflexibility, I think, is so you don't you don't know if you have that playoff club in your bag because you never try it. And so that's almost my my as you're trying to progress, it's not that the results aren't good enough. It's that you're not You're not pushing the boundaries, right? Like you're not pushing the boundaries, you're not giving the team, the organization, the information needed to make the next decision. And that's really where more of my problems with. And Tibbs isn't the only coach
0: that's like this, but these very system coaches. Well, but that's I, 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 I will say. I think Tibbs might be the most like this, though. Like he is. Again, I I'm I, I was I mean, actually looking this up this year, but they had us listed as like playing some zone this year. I'm telling you, I've watched every minute of Knicks basketball over the last three years. I don't remember a single fucking possession where we came out and just threw a zone at a team. Like, not once in three years. I have not—I don't remember, like, you, like the only times we have used Randall at the 5 are like, oh, we're down 10 with a minute and a half left. Let's just try something. Or, like, there was one game—there was a little—there was, like, a two or three games at the start of the uh, the empty stadium season where, like, I think it was, like, Todd was out and Noel was out, so we just had Mitch, and he was just like, okay, well, I have to play Randall at the 5 some— And it's just, like, so, like, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, do I think Doc Rivers is the most – he's another coach, right? Like, very kind of rigid and set in his ways. But, like, I've seen Doc play his own. I've seen Doc use, like, George Niang at the five. I've seen him do some of those things. And, like, I'm not – like, I don't think he's necessarily on some different plane of existence as a coach. As as Tibbs Lord knows, he's definitely coached more talented teams than Tibbs has. But I think they have similar flaws. And I do think, like – they have similar strengths, and there's a reason why they have won a lot of regular season games. Like the things they do can help you establish a base. I'm just not sure once you establish the base, there's much more from them. And I, I, I'm like, I don't know how I, I personally like. If I was, you know, if I had the the freedom to do whatever anything I wanted, I would move on from Tibbs. But like, I don't think it's an indefensible decision to bring him back. I get it, um, and He did show some growth in ways that were like actually somewhat impressive last year. Um, Like the fact that he was even willing to use Emmanuel quickly with Brunson as often as he did, I thought was like that was my biggest concern when we signed Brunson. Was I was like, well, are we just like, is that it? Like, are we just not going to see Emmanuel quickly other than when he comes in for sixteen minutes a game? Um, But like to his credit, he actually used them quite a bit. He discovered the uh, he discovered the the amazing world of setting on ball screens with not your five with somebody other than your five was an amazing thing he discovered it um we started switching a bit more uh during like the back half of the season especially with randall so like he did do things that i was like okay this is actually good but then you see in the playoffs like it's he tends to he goes back to like the things that are kind of his achilles heel right like he he trusts josh hart because josh hart's a vet and no matter what the spacing you know Crisis is Josh Hart's got to be out there, but he can't play the four. He has to play the two or the three. And it's like, there's all these things with him um, that make him like a frustrating coach. But I will say like, given what was in place when he came in, like it's hard to, like he does deserve credit for the fact, I think Emmanuel quickly has improved from when he came in. Mitchell Robinson has improved when he, since when he, from when he came in. Quentin Grimes has developed well under him. And like, I'm not saying he deserves the credit for all those things, but it has happened under his watch. So he's not necessarily, like, preventing at least individual development. I just think he – and he struggled with this in Chicago, too, right, when Jimmy got good, was he was like, I don't know, like, I'll just roll the ball out there and Derek and Jimmy will have to figure it out. And it's like, maybe you can, like, do something to help them. Um, but there's that's just stuff he struggles with. But, like, I mean, again, with Tibbs, I'm like – I as much as he frustrates me, I do think there's stuff that he brings to the table that is like a positive. No, I think that's all right um and it's
1: it's the a lot of this stuff is sort of opaque to us from the outside. This came up a lot with the sort of the spate of of highly successful coaches being let go this summer, mm. and it was like oh did did Bud or Monty or Doc or whoever deserve it It's like the, you know it's one of the <laughs> best quotes of all time deserves got nothing to do with yeah. it it's you know if it's the internal workings like do the players still buy are still players still buying what he's selling yeah is 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 he still able to work in some degree and i you know one hears things and maybe that's up or down uh, in terms of how well he works with like other members of the organization
0: uh, but that, it's not like it's broken. It's not like it's an open feud. I think he had a come to Jesus moment this year. They were ten and thirteen, and all of a sudden he's like, "Yeah, do pride's in the rotation." And all these young guys are going to play a bunch, and Quentin Grimes is starting. I'm like, "So what happened here?" Like, yeah, did did did? Because it was funny actually. When it, so when that happened, they were ten and thirteen, and there was this weird because there was a, a lot of like obviously like Tibbs has to go, whatever. And there was like this weird report that came out from Ian Begley, and it was like, "Oh." Leon Rose, like, will back Tibbs, like, it, that's his guy, and he's not going to fire him lately. And I was just like, and then, like, the next day, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, Derek Rose is no longer in the rotation. Deuce McBride is. And I'm like, so did Leon, was Leon like, look, you're my guy. I'm going to put that out there. And then what you're going to do is play exactly who I want you to fucking play. <laughs> and that's what I think happened. But, like, again, like, he did do that. And, you know, he it was either that probably or, like, hey, you do this, or you're probably going to get canned. And he's like, I kind of like my job, and I'm not sure I'm going to get another head coaching job if I get fired. So here it is. I want to go back to something you said, though, about Tibbs needing to play with a traditional five on the floor. So, okay, I guess th- this is a two-part question. I'm going to start with the first part. The Knicks had the third-best offense in the regular season, third by offensive rating. I was I was impressed by, like, kind of how they mathed their way into it. Um, you know, great offensive rebounding team, low turnovers get to the free throw line a bunch and take you like your shot chart is exactly what you want your shot chart to look like. Do you think that what we saw the offensive drop off, obviously in the regular season, is that related to the simplicity and I mean an effective scheme, but a very simple scheme offensively, is that related to just like how much more keyed in defenses are in the playoffs? And, or do you think just talent, the talent on the roster is a, a stronger contributing factor than the scheme is to that drop off. Uh, and I'd say some of that, and
1: also just the the, the talent you're playing against, um, sort of ma- makes the sort of do the simple things well. Do the simple things well. Have some good shot making. Mm-hmm. Gets you get, that, that can get you decently far in a regular season. Um, you're not going it, to. It's a lot harder to. To competent competent, and competence, whatever, competence <laughs> and math your way to a high performing playoff offense. Mm-hmm. It's like teams, like, okay, well, we got to block Mitch Robinson uh, now We got to, like, the, you know, we can, we need to figure out where we can pressure the ball to turn them over some more. We got to uh, know that they're going to shoot a lot of floaters, we got to stay attached to shooters. Uh, because we know that that Jalen Brunson is going to try to get to the mid range, not all the way to the basket. So we need, we don't need to collapse as much. We're you know we um so I think it's it's a combination of of all those things that um you know it on some level you get to the playoffs and it's Jimmy's and Joe's mm-hmm. um and they you know
0: they they've got Jimmy, but I don't know <laughs> if they got they've got Joe. Uh, <laughs> um yeah no I mean look I think. The most encouraging part of the season, obviously, like, the regular season was really fun. And I think it is encouraging to see, like, guys like Quickly and Grimes and Mitch develop and, like, take those steps in their career. But the most encouraging thing was definitely, for me, seeing Brunson in the playoffs. But the second part of what I wanted to ask you is this. Traditional five. Okay. I'm going to throw this at you. I don't know if you've seen the sentiment growing on Nick's Twitter. There is a five who can protect the rim and, and satisfy Tibbs's fetish for rim protection who can also credibly stretch the floor that may be available in trade or even in free agency this offseason. Do you think there is a legitimate argument that bringing back the prodigal son, Christoph Brzingis, to New York? Oh, that is not where I thought you were going. <laughs> what do you think I, about that? I
1: thought, I, I thought you were going Brook Lopez. I like I I like. like Lopez.
0: Yeah. Lopez would be the cheaper, more cost-effective Better? approach. Better, I do think he's better. Or I would. I mean, age yeah. is a big and, concern there. But it... and I, I liked what I like. I, I can't believe. I cannot believe I'm saying this. I actually like really liked what I saw from Porzingis this year. But the injury risk is obviously there. But like, do you think that like a guy like Porzingis who obviously has, you know, a way more ability to do anything with the ball in his hands compared to like a Mitchell Robinson, not the offensive rebounding or defensive rebounding presence he is, but like just brings that ability to open up the floor, like if you're not going to change coach, right? Like if your tips is going to be your guy, do you think that there's value in evolving with kind of your personnel and getting a five like Porzingis where, okay, maybe your equation in the regular season to offensive success has to change a little bit, but getting a guy that can really credibly space the floor, and it could be Brooke Lopez too, for that measure. Like, do you think that's a direction that they should seriously consider?
1: Yes, it's a, it's a question of of uh you know memo to memo to uh Matt Ishbia acquisition cost matters. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about Mr. Ishbia, don't worry. Um, you know, and and you know optionality for after you, to, for the right. next move matters. Right. So, under yeah, I mean under under the rate, you know, what what do they have to give up? What what is the the contract looks like? Yeah, I think that's something to to consider all there's also sort of the the again the the things that are opaque to us is you know what would he think about his role being back in? would he you know what level of comfort well, um uh, it, it didn't exactly end well the first time but it's a whole different regime
0: and sort of yeah and and i would say that like one he's actually publicly multiple times now like expressed regret about how it, how it ended and like almost in like a kind of like a I'm like, are do you want to come back? Are you like angling for this? Um, you know, as far as opaque reasons, like you know, will James Dolan be okay with bringing back somebody who demanded a trade? Who knows? Um, but like, I, I'm, I'm just like, I, I think he's a very intriguing option. I again, I thought he was really good last year when I saw him in, in Washington, um, and I guess like where. What is interesting, though, about him is if you get him between Brunson, RJ, Randall, Porzingis, like, like, and you know this, like Porzingis, yes, he can stretch the floor, but he's not just a stretch big, right? Like he, he it was like a 23 or 25 usage guy last year. Like he, he needs the ball to be to get the value you want out of him. I would, I would assume that if you did get a Porzingis, like one of RJ or Randall almost has to go just from like, It. it, I don't think it can work trying to get keep everybody happy with the touches. um, If you went and got him, so like it would be an interesting thing because I think getting Porzingis would be. It would necessitate like a further evolution of the roster, which I'm. I kind of feel like they they need to, or at least should. Um, But that's I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Um. I mean, I just wonder having. I, I jokingly wondered this year if if some of the some of the struggles individual players had were um, since there's so many lefties on the floor that like the spaces like say R.J. Barrett wants hmm. to operate in, it's like well there's Jalen Brown already standing there. Yeah, and, they, so and, they, and all they, three of them
0: want to get downhill too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I think you're. I think you raise a good a good point in that if you're getting Porzingis to be an 18 usage player, but you're paying him like a 25 usage player, right? Again, memo to Maddie Ishbia, like you're, <laughs> uh, you know, we can expect Brad, like, you know, like we, I, we have to talk about it. I, I've alluded to it twice, so we just have to, because to, it's illustrative. Um, is that okay? You okay? You're if if people are healthy, Bradley is gonna have a 26 27. Right. That's great, it's fine, it's good. You don't pay fifty million dollars for a guy who is a decent bucket getter on twenty-seven usage. Like his his number one skill is ability to soak possessions credibly. But you already got two. Uh, so anyway, um, but so but I think there is a little bit to like you know the some of those some of those possessions that okay, well, Randall gives us a okay, he takes some mediocre shots, but that's at least a floor on a possession. Add more talent, that becomes less important to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, fine, people get injured, blah, blah, blah. But really if we're talking about what's the best version of our team, you're you're paying for stuff you're not gonna use if you're if if you're if you know you add this other offensive piece that can that can do things with the ball. And all of a sudden you don't need Randall to take those five extra step backs a game because otherwise they'd be Isaiah Hartenstein trying to create. Right. Which it's probably not, probably not what we want. I don't even think that that Isaiah would think that that's a that's a or Isaiah. Sorry, is uh, uh um is it Isaiah or Isaiah? I, th- I think they've, they've been saying Isaiah on the
0: broadcast. breen has okay. been anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking of I'm thinking of a different uh, uh, European player. It's like no, it's Isaiah. Um, uh, they're anyway. all the
0: same to you, huh, Seth? <laughs> He's sort of, he doesn't even really count as a year anyway. (laughs) Um, He was born in Oregon, wasn't he? Yeah, he has a strange background, strange (laughs) everything.